0: And now here's another timely, yet timeless word from the Word of God, from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open up to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, this will actually be the last sermon we have in chapter 8. We've been hunkered down here for a while uh, as we've gone through this very rich passage of Scripture Um Pretty much, I uh, told you whenever whenever I preached a couple of weeks ago as we were going through Romans 8, that I had a song stuck in my head, and it's, it was that song we, we just started singing. Um, there's just no way to read the passage here and not just be awestruck by the holiness of our God and how gracious He is towards us, though we are undeserving. Completely, And yet, continuously through this passage, we see how God continues to love us despite our sin, that He continues to, to remind us of His sacrifice of His Son on our behalf, and how because of that we can have life and have it forevermore. We can have the fullness of life. As we go through this, this passage, I, I hope you've had the chance to kind of reflect on Romans 8 and how to apply it to our lives, um, because one thing that should be wiped away is the idea of doubt. You know, the doubt of, of does God love us? Does God continue to care for us? Does he continue uh, to go? And let's, let's face it, life is tough, right? Life is tough. I mean, it wasn't I mean, there was a business meeting last week that the University of Florida beat up on LSU 24 to 4. And then, you know, because of sin in this world, uh, LSU came back the next day. and uh, Though they didn't get 24. That's right. Corey forgets I'm a crumb. I have a loud mouth if I really want to. Uh so uh but no, we we have the effects of sin around us. And it's very easy to go through times of distress, times of trial, and begin to wonder, is God really there for me? Does God remember his covenant promises he made? This entire passage has been saying, uh, yeah, he absolutely does. And not only that, but we as Christians should not uh, come to the idea that if we're going through trials, if we're going to be suffering, if we're if we're having issues, if we're uh, whether it be physical suffering, emotional suffering, you know, right? That um, that's not the exception. Indeed, that is the expectation. Now, Emery, we we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We're not doing women preachers, you know, at this church. So I need you to, to calm down over the Oh, it's oh, it's it's the okay, it's the Harvey one. Okay, it's the Har- well, well, Riley's gonna say it's the Elmore one. So, uh, <laughs> 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 that's right. That's right. So Eric's not gonna see this until Wednesday at minimum. So let's just make fun of him the whole time. So. Uh, but no, but uh, as, we, as we go through life, we must understand that the expectation is for us to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And so when we come together and read passages like this, it's to remind us that, one, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But two, it should be an encouragement to know that if you are going through these times... That indeed, that is showcasing the fact that you are indeed a true follower of Jesus, and that you can take heart and take hope in the fullness of the gospel, and understand that though this might seem big on the periphery in your life right now, it is a mere speck in the periphery of eternity. And that one day that we'll be, like we said earlier, Revelation 5, sitting around the throne praising and worshiping him because he is the lamb who is worthy to open up the scroll. Um, so we're in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read, now that's my child, uh, verses 35 through uh, 39. So if you would, read with me. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor or neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we, we praise you for your word. Father, we praise you for the encouragement you give us in your word to continue forward, even when it seems that everything around us is failing. So, Father, I pray that you would bless this reading of your Word. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we open up this passage, as we look through uh, the the tittles and the dots. Father, that you would just you would just showcase your glory. Father, that you would convict us of where we fall short, so we could follow you that much more closely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, let me just go ahead and you know you know the the question here is, what can separate us? from the love of Christ the answer is nothing can separate us from the love of Christ so the main idea that we have today is just that nothing possible can separate us from the love of Christ now I'll tell you uh, I teach uh, uh, at what we'll Christian Christian uh, one Bible class it's fantastic uh, because I go there and the teachers are all you know normally at the end of the first period like oh, I don't know if I can make it through the rest of the day and I go Okay, we'll see you, and then and I, and I'll leave. Uh, but, uh, but one thing that I've noticed is just how prevalent this idea of being separated from the love of God is in our lives, and, and, and specifically the lives of our students, right? And, and it could be the fact that um, just naturally, right, we as human beings understand that when we have done wrong, that there should be some sort of punishment for us, And so whenever we sin, right, the natural inclination, the way we we just in our sinful understanding begin to think is, well, if I've sinned against God, then God needs to separate from me or God wants to separate from me. Mainly because when we wrong one another, the last thing we want to do is be around them. You know, am I right? You know, how many times have we seen families separate because of an issue, right? Uh, how many times have we've seen, if you're a parent in here, how many times have you have seen your your kids, right, get into an altercation and then, you know, immediately turn around and say, oh, I want to just spend the rest of my time with you. No, they normally like, I hate you, you know, and they like slam the door, right? And they're like, I'm never coming out. And you're like, yeah, but I've got food and there's a toilet out here. So eventually that's not going to happen, right? Um, but our natural inclination is to separate, and, and what we end up doing is we begin to bring that idea of human, uh, of human sinfulness and place that upon God and think, well, if I would not want to be around, you know, X person for, for them being against me, well, then why would God want to do that? And really, what Scripture teaches us is the exact opposite, that God is faithful in His forgiveness, And that's how glorious he is. That's the reason for that we come to worship is because though we have come against him and, and though we were enemies, as, as Paul says, you know, at first with God, that not only did he show up for us, but that he continues to show up for us time and time again, that the, the love of Christ, the blood of Christ continues to cover sin. And so when we come to this passage, we can rejoice. The, the The preceding context here is basically Paul just laying out this argument of just how glorious God is and how powerful the blood of the Lamb is. As a matter of fact, Dave talked about last week about how um, uh, that God is for us and that nothing can separate us. From God, because God did not even spare his own son, not even Jesus came in between. God did not spare him. Instead, he put them there. And then because of the sacrifice of Christ, are we able to come before God and have life and have it eternally? And so when we look at uh, this passage here, we go to 35, this is really the passage of rejoicing. If we indeed are the elect of God, if we are indeed the ones who are chosen by God because, uh, or due to, or if we were chosen by God based upon uh, nothing that we have done, but everything that God has done for us, then all we should be able to do is to praise Him for the goodness that He has given us. Because nothing in our lives is anything that we have done; everything that we have that we have done, good, bad everything is because of god's love for us and so verse 35 we get right here and we see that this passage is indeed the conclusion the natural conclusion of the preceding verses right if our god is for us who can be against us we get to verse 35 who then says who can separate us from the love of christ well if god is for us and nothing can can come in between us then the question naturally comes to what can separate us from the love of Christ and the natural answer that Paul goes to is absolutely nothing. If nothing can separate us, right, then nothing, or if nothing, uh, as we said earlier, if, if nothing can be, uh, come between us and God, then nothing can separate us from the blood of christ the love of christ it's quite interesting here that he actually lays out in verse 35 a few different things that people will naturally think that come between us and christ right we have a list right here he says shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword right and you might sit there and go that's a pretty good list Right. These are normally the things that when we think of being separated from the love of God, normally these are like the top ones of things that we begin to think about. Right. We go about we talk about tribulation, tribulation. In fact, whenever I first read this, just this first reading, I saw tribulation and persecution. And my first thought was, why is Paul repeating himself right here? But it's important to note that he's not necessarily repeating himself right here. Because tribulation and persecution, though they can have the same kind of idea going about them, are actually two different things. Tribulation right here means that God's wrath is coming down upon a people. right? And persecution is basically that Satan is using the sinfulness of people in order to bring harm or at least some sort of ill will against you. You see, we can get caught up in times of tribulation when society begins to be uh, have the wrath of God poured out for them due to its sinful nature. We as Christians can feel the effects of that, though we don't agree with what's going on in society. And yet we can know that that God is still loving us, that God still has us. And though we might be in a society that is continuously going to uh, ungodliness... That God has not forgotten us, that we are still the elect, that God has still shed his son's blood for our sake, and that we are continuing to be forgiven of our sins as we progress forward in our sanctification. And so when we think about, you know, this weekend being Independence Day weekend, right? We got a lot of people who are going to be having fun on the 4th. I know I'm going down to Panacea. We're blowing stuff up down there. Uh, we're going to have a blast, right? We we praise God for the nation that we live in. We praise God for the freedoms that we have, the ability to come here without the uh, the idea of persecution coming forward, right? We don't have to worry about the federal government coming in and kicking down these doors, but the truth of the matter is, is that America is not perfect. We, we are not the new Israel. We have issues, right? We, we look at, we just got, got into July, and the meaning of us getting in July is we are no longer in a month that has been proclaimed to be the month of just ungodly debauchery, as a matter of fact, we were down in New Orleans for uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. And so New Orleans, you know, is, is not necessarily, let's uh, say, how can we term this? Whew, it's not necessarily known as like the godliest city. There we go. That's a good term. Uh, and so uh, just a couple blocks from where our convention at and where we were staying was Jackson Square and the French Quarter. And uh basically, one of the things that we talked about was that night, we had such a hard time finding something open for us to go eat at uh around the convention center because they closed everything at 6. Well, as Baptists, you know, we were scheduled to get out at 5.30, but that didn't happen. Uh, and so, <laughs> that's right. Anybody been to a business meeting, say amen. Uh, and so... um Uh, So anyway, the only things that were left open that were within walking distance was in the French Quarter in Jackson Square. Well, it's June. And basically what the taxi drivers told us was like, listen, I understand you're hungry. But when you go down there, there are things that you cannot unsee. And right now our government and not just one political party, both political parties, uh, companies uh, across the land are putting forth this idea that what God has determined to be unholy is an indeed right. And what they say is a, a, a right that should be given to all humans. We must understand that though we have this freedom there to, to worship We still have a long way to go. We must understand that though we live in our country and though we live in Wakulla County, which, you know, I mean, we got a billboard as you come into the county says that you know Wakulla loves Jesus. The fact of the matter is, is that is this Wakulla doesn't love Jesus. Wakulla loves Wakulla. Wakulla loves sin. United States of America, though our motto might be "In God We Trust," let's face it: most of the time, we care less what God says, than we care more in what I trust. We put forward individualism as the ultimate goal. And the truth of the matter is this: that individualism is going to send you straight to hell. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. The fact is that we rely on Scripture. It alone is inerrant. I don't care what goes on in the halls of Congress or across the street at the county commission office. There is nothing that they say that is going to give you life. Though, yes, maybe a tax break here or there, which is always nice. But let's face it, that pales in comparison with the word of God that gives us life that brings dead men to life. I was talking to someone the other day about miracles and uh, about whether or not miracles exist. And they kind of rightfully determined that I was not the person who would believe in like faith healing and all this stuff. But they came up to me and said, do you believe in miracles? And I couldn't help but to think of like the 1984 hockey team. You know, Do you believe in miracles? Yes. You know, All right. There's, a, there's a, a select few people in here that understand that one. Um, but they asked me, they said, do you believe in miracles? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And they kind of took it back. And I said, yeah, all the time. I've seen dead men come to life. The fact is, is that the word of God brings dead men to life. The Declaration of Independence, yes, a great document, does not bring us life. The Constitution of the United States, yes, a great document on ordered society, does not bring dead men to life. The only thing that brings dead men to life is the Word of God, and that is what we should proclaim from this sanctuary out into our county. Yes, we are praise God for the right that we have been given But we praise God even more for the fact that we have life and have it abundantly. We praise God more the fact that we were not deserving of anything, and yet Christ came and sacrificed himself on our behalf. We praise God that though we were sinners, he still chose us to come and follow him faithfully. And so here we see different things like tribulation, right? The wrath of God pouring upon a society... We see distress, right, anxiety, extreme anxiety, pain, right, stress. We see persecution, right, people coming after us. We see famine. You can look at me. I haven't experienced much of that. It says right here nakedness, right? It's the idea of destitution, not having anything. Danger, right? This is not just merely like persecution. is isn't like someone saying something to I me. Mean, this is your life is in danger, right? People are coming out to kill you. And the last, sword, right? Sword, probably more right here in context, what Paul's thinking is is more of the government coming. Here, we don't have to worry about that. I've got friends overseas. I can't tell you where they're at because this is a real possibility. Being a Christian here... Or being a Christian there means to fully rely on what Scripture says and that though the government might come or though mobs of people might come to kill them, that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. And, and notice that phrase too, the love of Christ. Notice he says the love of Christ, not necessarily just uh, the love of God. It's, it's quite interesting he says that. And the reason why I think is that the love of Christ is not just a, a love without sacrifice. Uh, The love of Christ bought us. We are redeemed. If we were to be separated by God or from God, it would be a theft because that love of Christ bought us. It was a price that was paid. And a theft against an all-powerful God is therefore illogical. The truth of the matter is this. Nothing that comes up to us that comes in our way can truly separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ. Yes, all these things are difficult. All these things are hard. They pale in comparison to the almighty power of our good and faithful God. And it's quite interesting. In verse thirty-six, he he quotes from Psalm forty-four. He says, "For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered." It, it kind of seems interesting that he then goes to this passage and talking about, "Hey, nothing can separate us from the love of God." Isn't this awesome? To so then quoting Psalm forty-four, which this says, "We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered." This is not necessarily what I would call the most uh, encouraging verse that you would want to come to, right? Of Paul just reinforcing this idea of, hey, listen, we are like sheep. We are going to go to the shears. We we are here to be slaughtered. And in fact, uh if you read the context of Psalm 44, Psalm 44 is actually a psalm that is written by a people calling out to God saying, "Hey, we're going through times of trial. We're going through tribulation. As a matter of fact, verse uh, 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 22, right? It says, well, we we read 22, right? Verse 23, excuse me. He actually, the psalmist then says, Awake, O Lord, why are you sleeping? In other words, it looks like everything that's come against him that God has seemingly forgot about him. He's saying, all this stuff's coming up, but yet at the end of this passage... He says, for our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Do not reject us forever. Relies on the word of God, the fact that God has said that he will not forget. The psalmist then clings to scripture in this time of desolation and says, do not reject us, rouse yourself rise up come to our help the truth of the matter is this is the expectation of what we're going to be going through this is not the exception and so we need to make sure that we indeed are preparing ourselves for times like this that we prepare our students for times like this that we prepare ourselves so many times we think of blessing as being material blessing right of the lord's I, you know i'm, I'm you know We've got a new car so you know the lord's been faithful to me we understand that's not necessarily a sign of blessing as a matter of fact that could be a sign of the enemy trying to keep us away from what's true and what's holy and what's good and so let us draw near to his word verse 37 then he goes on he has a specific phrase paul does here in this passage. he says no right no this final answer who can separate us from the love of christ no None of that stuff can separate us from the love of Christ. And he says, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us now this phrase more than conquerors is quite interesting in fact you've probably seen this like on instagram right or on facebook you know someone with like a, a pretty beach background you know right and then we are more than conquerors and everybody's like oh that's great well the question is what does more than conquerors means especially in in our human intellectual uh, uh, or human idea of conquering right conquerors are like the the biggest and the baddest right one of my favorite villains in the marvel universe i, I made the the reference to the hockey team earlier old people so that's you i'm glad going to Marvel now. So Marvel people, uh, one of my favorite villains of all time is this guy named Kang the Conqueror. Kang the Conqueror comes from the future, goes to the past to stop his timeline from being wiped out. And the only way to do that is kill all the Avengers. Uh, And he is pretty ruthless. He is like, he is all powerful, just, just, just like has a hard time uh, with the Avengers and whatnot. He's my favorite, uh, my favorite villain. But it's kind of interesting that Uh, The name Kang the Conqueror, right? The Conqueror just adds more onto that and we kind of think of that's ultimate right kind of like empire right so emperor right it's like the highest level right we, we we we've put the term president for for our president but i'm pretty sure if we called him emperor we'd probably think more of him right just because it's that idea of i'm not saying he is i'm just saying if we put that title on there we probably would would you know would think of him you know at least as more you know powerful or whatnot um but that, that term conqueror, right? That term emperor, right? We, we, we esteem that pretty highly. And it's kind of interesting that Paul says right here, we are more than conquerors. Well, the question that comes to is, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Right? If conquer is like the ultimate thing that you're supposed to do, you know, right? You play risk, you take over everything, right? What in the world does it mean to be more than a conqueror? And I, I really appreciate the words of John Piper when he's discussing what a conqueror is, what it means to be more than conqueror. He says a conqueror defeats his enemy, but one who is more than a conqueror subjugates his enemy. A conqueror nullifies the purpose of his enemy. One who is more than a conqueror makes the enemy serve his own purposes. A conqueror strikes down his foe. One who is more than a conqueror makes his foe his slave. See, our God is so good that he doesn't just take what the enemy throws at him and lays it down. He indeed uses what the enemy throws at us in order to build us up further to be better gospel ministers. You see the reason why we should not fear persecution, distress, tribulation, danger, sword, nakedness. It's not merely just because none of that stuff can separate us from the love of God. But the fact is is that God uses that to help us become better followers of him. He uses Satan's own tactics against him. Just like at the cross when Satan came, and, 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 and finally, the Son of God who was bringing redemption to this world was slain. Yet three days later rose from the grave, thus defeating death, defeating sin, paving the way for us to have life everlasting. If God can do that for us, what more? <laughs> what else can he do for us? I mean, there's nothing more than that. What else could God save us from? What else could God use in our lives to be better followers of him? God can use times of distress in our lives, of extreme stress and anxiety, to help show the love of God to others who are going through that time, of of barrenness, of loss of a loved one. God can use all those things that normally would bring down a strong person and use those to show His love for His people. We are more than conquerors through Him, not on our own. It's not like we're more. You know, God saved us. Then it's like, okay, you're more than a conqueror. Now go. Notice through Him who loves us. Just like nothing can separate us from the love of God, we can't be more than conquerors without Him. Then we get to verses thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Now, it's kind of funny when I uh, opened up Calvin's commentary set the other day. The first time I did it, I I passed out because, you know, BBS was this week. And so I finally got upstairs and started reading and then slept because Calvin will do that to you sometimes. Um, But then the next day, uh, (laughs) I woke up and went home. But then the next day, I started reading Calvin's commentary. And he says right here that Paul goes into hyper uh, hyperbolic expression. Uh, Baptist would probably say he starts preaching right here and he begins to say this he says for i'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us for the love of god in christ jesus our lord it's kind of interesting the the, the list there right he says that neither life Nor death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nor angels or rulers, right? Doesn't matter who's president. Doesn't matter if we live here, if we live in Saudi Arabia. Nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Nor things present, situations that we're in, cannot separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Or things to come. 2024 is an election year. Guess what? Whatever happens, nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Nor heights, or excuse me, yeah, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, right? No distance can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, or love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Creation was created to worship and magnify god to cause us to come before him and say holy 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 is the lord god almighty creation itself cannot separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord so if these are true then what shall we do if nothing indeed can separate us from the love of christ nothing can separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord what shall we do we go forward in the gospel we go forward yes in going forward in the gospel these things will come people will rise up against you people will become upset maybe you'll be blocked on facebook all these things are to come but yet we must remember this that whether it is the stranger on the road or our very own family coming against us, nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That whether it be that something uh, arises in life, the the loss of a loved one, right? Whether it be times of despair and anxiety, the loss of job, the loss of... Whatever financial means, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, or the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That in everything, we must understand that nothing can separate us from God, so that that way at the end of this world, every knee will bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord' the glory of God the Father. Let us go. Let us go forth with this gospel. If you're sitting here today and you're under and you're hearing this and you're saying, well, wait a minute, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That's right, nothing. I hope the next question you're asking is this how can I get this love of Christ? And the truth of the matter is, is that the gospel is very clear. All you have to do is repent. Because just as we said earlier, we all sin. And in fact, our sin is at times used against those who love Christ. The fact is, is that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But yet, as Dave said last week as he read the passage right before this, that God did not even spare His own Son in order to make sure that there was a way for you to have a relationship with Him, for you to have a life, have it abundantly. All you have to do is, is to surrender, is to repent say, Lord, I am wrong. Father, I am a sinner. Save me now. In doing so, you accept lordship, his lordship over your life. That means you do not do what you want to do. You do what he wants you to do from now on. And that's it. It is that simple, but yet... It is also that difficult because we understand that everything in our fiber, everything in our being fights against the goodness of God. Yet he is faithful to remind us that even when we fail after we have come to faith in him, that we cannot be separated from the love of God, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord, we praise you, we honor you, we thank you for your word and for us being able to rely on your word, that, Father, even when it seems that everything has fallen against us, that, Father, you continue to show us that that you indeed are faithful even when we are faithless. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us during this time of invitation as we go into the Lord's Supper, that, Father, that this would be a time of worship to you. Father, this would be a time for us to reflect as well to make sure that we indeed truly are sons and daughters of you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to do something different. because Like I said, Dave's not here. We're actually going to sing all four verses of Only Trust Him. As we mentioned earlier, as you see, we are coming to the Lord's Supper. This is a time in which we are able to come around as as a family, as a body of believers, and to remember what Christ has done on our behalf, that he, he paid the death penalty that we deserve so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And Paul in Corinthians tells us that this is also a time that we need to be careful, that if we have unrepentant sin in our life, if someone has, has come to us and has sinned against us, and then we harbor anger, towards one another, that we should seek them out first before we come to this table. And so, basically, we're going to sing all four verses to give us the opportunity to do just that. So as we go into this time of invitation, if there is something that you need, you'd need, you like to prepare for, confess, come forward. If there is someone in this room that you harbor anger or hatred or anything like that against, go to them and ask for forgiveness to not stain what we're about to take part of here afterwards if there's anything that you need to talk like come forward we're going to go into this time and sing and let us be in prayerful consideration prayerfully reflect our lives to make sure that indeed we are truly following the lord and if you don't know the lord if you do not know jesus as your lord and savior come forward let us talk to you about that thank you for joining us for this podcast from first baptist church of crawfordville You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.